0: hello everyone and welcome to episode 31 of great quarter guys i'm your host andrew cox and i'm with me as always kevin hill and then we have another special guest the director of passport research mr jp hamstead how are we today boys
1: doing well thanks for having me on andrew
0: Hey, man. How about you, Kev? I'm
2: doing weekend. good. I had a good weekend. Kev, we got Everything. some time off. Got, got some time off back in the seat today. And uh, and, and thanks to Carrier Direct, as, as always, for providing some research into the show here. And it's a great topic. I yeah. love this topic.
0: Yeah, we're going to do a little bit of a mashup of some things we've been reading lately. We're going to talk a little bit about the market share of the digital freight matching players and what the, how that leads into also the evolution of Amazon Relay, their uh, their app that they have now kind of evolved into more of a brokerage app, less less of a an app that was just focused on getting drivers around their facilities. JP's team has done a lot of research on this. They mapped out the Amazon logistics platform just about a month ago. Uh, so we're going to get into detail on that here soon. But before we do that, we'll, we'll start off with one good piece. We're going to continue this Bank of America data. It's been a, it's been the good piece of data for the last few weeks. Uh, it has continued to be good. We've got it up to the 23rd of May here, um, and some of the takeaways here are that the spending has bottomed again. We've talked about this for the last few weeks. It has bottomed and is stable in, in and across the board in every category. One kind of downside that we call, are seeing here that the data could be a little bit artificially inflated on the, the debit card side, simply because people are not using cash right now because of the you know the germ effects, trying to avoid it. Um, but overall card spending was down an average of 10, 10% year over year in the last seven days. That is significant improvement from April and even March, where it was down around 40%. So things are trending upwards, but it does remain foreseen how long this, uh, how long this can go, if it's sustainable at all. I mean, this is definitely being propped up by, uh, by government spending and by the government's, uh, you know, the paychecks to people. So we'll see how long it can last. Um, but we'll just jump right in. I mean, we'll, we'll jump right into our discussion. So the digital freight matching market share. Let's talk a little bit about the background here, Kevin, why we care about app downloads. We know there's a lot of different ways that, um, that brokers and load boards connect with drivers. So, so why should we care at all about uh, app downloads?
2: Well, it's the way of the future, right? Uh, automated uh, automated freight booking is is what VC money has been pouring into the industry for the last few years. And it's where everyone is driving to trying to automate that that carrier sales process. And then that's uh, a, a big thing for freight brokerages. It's more efficient. Uh, it's challenging, though, uh, getting enough scale of, of carriers or, or small carriers that own our operators, people really with one to three trucks in their fleet, onto an app uh, that's widely used. And that's where you see kind of the the market share uh, disparities uh, across the board. And the reason why not one app has all that much market share whatsoever, In this UBS report, uh, they use Google Play downloads and, and other downloads from stores to, to check out who's downloading the app. So it, usually every six to nine months, so they, they produce this report, uh, it's is fascinating. We do a survey of drivers, and that kind of gives you an idea of how stickiness those apps that have been downloaded are in the future. So it's very important, it's where the industry is going. And uh, it's these are fascinating market share numbers.
1: And I would just I would just add to that. I agree with everything you said, Kevin. But the other reason why um, app downloads are so important is because that's how a lot of three PLs and shippers get visibility into where their freight is mm-hmm. is through an app on the driver's phone. So it's a really you know the phone itself is an important piece of technology, and it's important that drivers use apps. Um, you know, So I, I think, I think that that's also a big piece of it. And the other thing is just that it's, it's really going after, like you said, the one to three truck fleets that aren't big enough to have their own dispatcher or hire their own dispatching service where they are having to source their own freight. And that is truly like the, the, the really fragmented owner-operator, um, spot market-driven kind of uh, end of the industry.
2: And that's a very good point, to the visibility, because we, we talk about these app downloads as part of freight matching, and that's what, you know, that, that's what I care about the most is freight. But, but the visibility tools as well, uh, you know, if you take trucker tools, MacroPoint, Fork Heights as well, besides the digital freight brokers like Uber and Convoy and then the the legacy uh, freight brokers like J.B. Hunt, C.H. Robinson, TQL, uh, it's really about visibility that's a, a key component uh, that I always uh, kind of uh, oversight
0: so yeah so that was one of the key takeaways Kevin is that there is no real clear winner of this uh, of this Get freight matching app battle right now. You know, as the, like you said, they do it about six to nine months. Every they do this survey every six to nine months. The last one came in August 2019. So uh, right now, there's nine players that have a five percent or greater share of downloads, which compares to ten players back in August. Um, and the largest share of, of the largest share of downloads is 15 percent right now, and that's DAT. We'll talk a little bit about them in a second. They've had a, a really big jump in market share since this last reporting in August. Uh, and MacroPoint has fallen off a little bit. They were the number one. They've now fallen a little bit back. But again. Pretty much the same mix of people. We still got about nine or ten there that have a, a solid footing, uh, and we've seen that in our surveys as well, haven't we,
2: Kevin? Oh, we have. You know, you have the, the two major load boards, DAT and Trucksop, that that are there, and they and from our surveys that they have the highest stickiness as well. Right. Uh, then you have the two pure plays, Uber and Convoy, and then you have the the, the top five freight brokerages, and then you have also the visibility tools, as, as JP said, Trucker Tools, MacroPoint. Four kites and right. so and and as far as source freight uh you can't really get that from download numbers from our last survey back in in august september uh, of 2019 uh we found that drivers uh source uh, they still only source about 11 of their freight from freight matching apps so that it's more of a positive
1: because that market's
2: you know you, you have a long r- runway to run uh, expanding
1: that market what do you think is behind um, DAT gaining so much market share so quickly? Do you think that it speaks to like softness in, in the freight market, and therefore people are trying to go to a platform that has the most freight? Do you think it has something to do with the way that you know spot volumes have been disrupted? You know, going to traditional brokerages. I'm really curious as to like why how how the load boards have. Struck back in a way. They could maybe be
2: playing catch up, right? They were one of the late later entrants, uh, making upgrades into their mobile platform for a freight matching app. So they're really ramping that up, whereas everyone else has been out for pretty strong for two or three years. So there there wasn't a huge gain in market share for say, say JB Hunt or C.S. Robinson, but they've had freight matching apps for two or three years. So the new downloads should slow down.
1: That's a good point. Yeah, I, I like that idea because I think they the load boards have been slower to ship new features mm-hmm. than, especially, uh, the, the digital first guys. Um, and I just remember, you know, when, when uh, they started, um, it was a big deal when they released like the Book It Now features, mm-hmm. and maybe that is one thing um, that's driving the downloads. I know that a lot of a lot oh. of owner operators English isn't their first language; they don't necessarily. Like being in a position with when they're negotiating with a broker over mm-hmm. the phone, and they really like um, book it now features. So you know, maybe it's maybe it is a little bit of that catch up effect.
0: I think it's a good. I think that all of these are good points. I would think also that going to the biggest load board in a time where volumes are kind of. Sp- were kind of scarce there for a few weeks, that's probably one of the things that, that pushed them up. But I also just look at where the market share came from, and as Kevin said, the, the big legacy players, they're really stable. You saw C.H. Robinson and J.B. Hunt, they stayed steady at 6% and 5% downloads. But it was something a little bit of surprising to me that I didn't think this would happen so quickly, but that Uber Freight and Convoy are falling uh, so quickly here. We're, we're only halfway through 2020, and you know this is when we're supposed to see Uber and Convoy make their run-up, and, and Uber fell from 11% to 7% uh, and Convoy down from 4% three so you know there you can see that i don't know exactly what dat is doing but you can see where the market share is coming from and it is coming from those those mm-hmm. younger players
1: yeah and you know they've been adjusting toward profitability and what that means for these guys is it has to do with the way that they kind of um subsidize both ends of the market to create liquidity in their marketplace so they um gave back freight to the shippers that was mispriced that they couldn't afford to lose money on anymore And they're probably also offering fewer incentives or less aggressive marketing spends um, in order to drive adoption of their apps on the supply side or or the carrier side. So kind of trying to right size that marketplace and make sure that, okay, if they are taking less freight, you know, it doesn't make sense to to keep like, um, you know, shoving their app everywhere and promoting it everywhere. Um, You know, if they need the, the capacity side to adjust as well.
0: Who do, you, who do you think that benefits the most? I see it benefiting you know, legacy players like CH Robinson and Echo, people that have seen their margins kind of get uh, squeezed the last since these people have been pricing freight and trying to be competitive. Who, who do you think benefits the most from uh, you know, a less focus on profitability and, or a less focus on revenue and a more focus on profitability from Uber and Convoy?
1: Yeah, I think I think the industry as a whole um, will will benefit from them adopting more sustainable long term business practices as long as they I mean, I think they've already done a great job driving innovation across the space. I mean, you've seen everyone we were talking about the low boards catching up, but, you know, of course, all the other legacy brokers had to as well. And I think that's been it's been really interesting and and positive for shippers and consumers in the economy. Um, but, yeah, I, I, honestly, I, th- I think I think the entire industry benefits f- when, when people are, you know, trying to make money in a way that makes money for, the, for their uh, their shareholders. Yeah. And Ryan
2: Schreiber wrote a, a very good uh, comment, commentary, I, I think, last week on FreightWaves.com uh, from Carrier Direct, Ryan Schreiber, about why the, the innovation that Uber and Convoy have brought to the table has forced everyone else to be more customer centric. To adopt new technologies, and and it's really created that technology arms race that that we're seeing, you know, in reports like uh, like freight matching, visibility, uh, just really efficiencies all down through the operational side of three pls.
0: That leads really well into the, the third takeaway that I had from that UBS report, and that's that Amazon's connectivity and their presence in brokerage is, is gradually rising, as, as they always do. They seemingly get their toe in, uh, learn the market, and then learn to disintermediate their partners and, and take the market share. So this is something that you wrote about with your, uh, uh, in your report the last month. You want to talk a little bit about kind of the evolution of Relay, how, the, how it started with drivers, just as kind of helping them get around the Amazon facility and, and what it's moving to now?
1: Yeah. And and maybe uh, before relay, we just talk about um, the evolution of Amazon's brokerage in general, which really started as a kind of an internal marketplace for Amazon operations people to match Amazon freight on Amazon trailers with for higher power for for higher power only tractors. Right. And so. Amazon was moving these full truckloads and less-than-truckloads from from Amazon facilities to other Amazon facilities. They owned the origin, the destination, and the asset. They had perfect visibility into the location at all times because they had the trailer. And, you know, because they were running the facilities, they they could automate that um, to a high degree. They could adjust um, dock schedules and things like that on the fly, and it worked very well. Well, once they... Then they decided, say, like, hey, you know, Frito-Lay, um, you you ship a lot of product into our network, into our facilities. Why don't you let us run that freight for you? We'll manage that transportation and, and broker those loads ourselves. Then it became a lot more complicated because they were dealing with these uh, more variables and things outside of their control. They couldn't really automate it that well. And so while they built the technology, they kept – the outward facing brokerage really small. They were they were doing like they were bidding on hundreds of millions of dollars of freight, but not aggressively. And so they were only doing you know, seven called seven million dollars a year. And that was around the, the end of 2019. Um since then they've turned on the faucet. They've had they've employed a lot of people in call centers to do cold outreaches to people asking if they have freight, trying to get more freight, trying to feed their system. So um, it makes sense to me that they've also expanded the functionality of Relay, which is now a place you know for drivers to interact with their freight, for carriers to to look and pick loads and and figure out um, you know how, how to move these Amazon trailers. It's not just about. You know, saying, okay, your dock is open now, or okay, move to this side of the building. It's really it's really more of a, a freight marketplace like those other apps.
2: And you've really seen that over the last few weeks, right? Because we wrote or you wrote the article uh, back in last early early last May, and it was a, a test type of you know, freight.amazon.com, uh where you had you know three states in the northeast, and that's kind of their their pilot. It's expanded nationwide. And if you Google freight broker or freight brokerage in, in, in whatever your third, fourth, fifth word is, uh, the t- somewhere in the top ads, usually ranking about second or third in the ad space on, on Google, you're going to find an ad for Amazon Relay. Yeah, so so they're... they're really supercharging that out and promoting it.
1: Yeah, they're they're buying up those Google AdWords and making sure that they get their name out there. They're doing all different kinds of things that, that a brokerage that wants a lot of freight would do. And just, just to be clear, you've got you've got the internal facing brokerage operation, you've got the outward facing or customer facing brokerage operation. And you can think of the outward facing part as being split into into two groups. One which which of course is contract, and the other which is sort of their spot uh, digital portal that we first reported on and now they've expanded it to all 48 states um, I, I, you know I think that's interesting and I don't really know what their goals are for that that platform and that site but I do know that like it's really going to be um, how they bid on contracted freight that's what's going to determine the growth of their mm-hmm. of their brokerage right like you know do they what margins acceptable to them how much money do they want to You know, make essentially on by filling back halls or doing whatever they're doing. um, That's going to be the key. So I kind of look at the digital, uh, digital platform as kind of a a sideshow. I mean, it's like for Mm -hmm. one-off quotes. Like to a company like Amazon, it's it's it's. I don't think it's ever going to be huge. But but um, their brokerage, you know, is clearly interested in growing volumes.
0: So, you know, we've talked about their unified front with expanding the brokerage on the internal and external uh, facing place. And you broke down in your article or in your paper, at least, you broke down the different strategies of Amazon logistics moving forward from warehousing to trucking and final mile. How does how does the warehousing front where they're building out all of these little delivery stations, how does that fit into their unified push uh, forward here?
1: Yeah, that's that's a that's a really good point. Um, so they ha, you know, Amazon has a number of different kinds of facilities. Um, you know, the, the one that everyone sort of thinks about as being the huge Amazon warehouse is called a fulfillment center. Um, those are you know hundreds of thousands of square feet, more than a thousand workers, and those are kind of like the, you know, the sort of the main arteries of Amazon's network. But what they're really focused on building on now are these much smaller delivery stations which are the origins for their final mile freight. So this is where um, where in the past, Amazon was taking about half of their final mile their final mile freight and dropping it at post offices. Right. They're using LCL carriers like XPO and, and other providers um, to, to drop pallets off at post offices to be delivered by the post office to people's houses. Now they are um, dramatically insourcing that final mile capability. They're essentially doubling the number of delivery stations in their network. Um, well they'll, they'll drop pallets there, and then sprinter vans will take the freight or take the parcels um, from those delivery stations and, and run their routes. So, you know, if you if you're a parcel integrator that does business with Amazon, or I think also if you're an LTL provider that does business with Amazon, you might see Amazon uh, taking more of that business away from you, um, insourcing it. Now that they have, now that they're building out a really dense and widespread physical network, the, the kind of network that you really need to support an in internal LTL operation.
2: Do you think some of that that insourcing is, especially from the USPS, the, the Postal Service, is because of that that risk or that uncertainty of of new rates
1: that uh, the administration is threatening? I think I think it's two things. Yeah, I think it's I think it's certainly um, there's a lot of political risk, right? Um, rates with the USPS, there's pressure on them from congressional Republicans to. Uh, be more profit oriented um, which is obviously going to hurt Amazon uh, the Trump administration has a B for the Amazon um, but I also think it's about service and it's about um, making sure that they can extend you know, same day and even t- uh, two hour deliver- prime delivery to as many markets where it makes sense uh, for them to do that as possible and I think that, that was actually kind of behind the delay in the rollout of the brokerage too is that um, they found that their technology wasn't quite suited to deal with all the unknowns of customer freight. And they they really have a high commitment to service and wanted to kind of perfect that before they before they grew it a lot. So um, it's probably just as much as service as as a, a cost thing for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you look at when they started purchasing trailers. They started buying trailers back in 2015 or so, and they didn't start running them. Uh, they didn't start brokering any excess capacity until 2019 or 2018. So, you know, they definitely set things up, make sure they have their ducks in, ducks in a row before they, they re- release it to the public. Um, so what about, you know, you wrote, you didn't write about it much in, uh, in the paper, but you did hint a little bit at maybe an area for growth that Amazon is definitely looking at is air cargo. You know, they've, they've rolled out a lot of uh, different hubs. They're now building a new one in Kentucky. They, they run a bit of a, a hub and spoke model on the air, air cargo front. Where do you think Amazon goes from here? Do they, do they continue, continue focusing on air cargo? Do they try to have, uh, completely cut out FedEx? Where do they go there?
1: I don't know. It's interesting because their air cargo seems to play a little bit different role than it does in, um, in FedEx and in, in, or actually I should say that, that with regard to prime, it has a little bit of a different role, right? So FedEx, you know, pioneered air cargo in the central hub in Memphis in order to be able to do next day delivery. So pretty much anywhere in the country, you know, um, if stuff flies into to Memphis, gets sorted, flies out and then gets delivered out from from that destination. you can get hit anywhere in the country by the next day. but if you're trying to do same day delivery, you can't really string together two cargo flights in a row it, it does doesn't work very well. Mm. So like to me, you know I, I, I wonder like like I think that, the, the air cargo component of Amazon is useful for positioning um, freight and positioning inventory in advance. But it's really about the delivery station. It's about them being able to predict consumer behavior, to suggest things to people, to know like when they're going to buy things, to get people to subscribe to buying things over and over again, and having those delivery stations with forward-positioned inventory. I think the the air stuff is, is a crucial part of that, but it's almost in the, it's, it's only the, the foundation of what's going to be a very, almost intimate feeling, um, service offering where stuff shows up, you know, as you want it.
0: It was like, we we spoke to Seth about that last week when we were talking about, uh, you know, he studied, wrote a paper on Final Mile, and he's now looking at kind of, uh, or he wrote a paper on autonomous vehicles, excuse me, now he's looking at Final Mile, and I was kind of asking him which one he thought would come first. Was it that micro-fulfillment, more like the Amazon delivery stations, or will it be the autonomous vehicles? And he definitely agreed it would be the micro-fulfillment, and Amazon's proving that now. They're already out out running it. What are they building? Another 90 or 80 or so delivery stations this year?
1: And what I think is going to be really fascinating is, like, what if... um, you know, they start brokering that capacity. Like what if they start, um, if they, est- if they establish the largest fleet of last mile fulfillment in the world, like, do they start competing with like Uber eats? Do they start like, do they, how, you know, do they work with, do they make um, like B2B parcel same day, like a reality for for businesses, um, I'm just I'm just fascinated by what they do with that asset once they build it out and get it running the way they want to. Well,
0: that was one of the things that you mentioned as a possible headwind for them uh, is in in this de- um, in this breaking ties with all of these different trucking companies that they might not be able to utilize their their assets once they have all the assets out that they might they need those relationships with competitive retailers and with. Uh, with trucking companies to be able to utilize assets, you know, maybe that's one thing they look at. They look toward more business-to-business freight. Uh, to try to fill those assets, but you know this has been a great conversation. We can definitely we could go all day talking about Amazon, but we are running short on time, so let's let's hop on to our long shorts. We've got some fun ones today. Uh, you know Nikola has been in the uh, in the talks this week. They're supposed to be trading under their name on Thursday. They're currently trading under VT or VQIT or VTIQ, one or the other. Either way, it'll be in KLA uh, on Thursday. So my my question to you is not so much a long short, but which are you longer? So my question to you: Who do you think it is that delivers the first alternative? battery truck do you think it's tesla or do you think it's nicola and
2: why kevin so so when you say alternative battery yeah so either like either, like,
0: either electric truck or hydrogen truck they're, okay. they're producing both um a semi truck yeah semi truck class eight truck who delivers the first one they've both got massive order sheets uh, Nikola. nicola okay why do you, what do you think so
2: i, I think hydrogen's uh, a little bit easier to 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 manage and to to, to build up the infrastructure and I don't know if that's right or not, but I'm going to go with Nikola. Just a gut feeling, really.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's Nikola. I think um, I wrote about this last year, actually. But if you look at the way that Tesla's depreciation outruns its capital expenditures, like it's hard to see them. Re- like they're clearly not investing in major new assembly lines or production facilities. So, you know, how do you deliver a semi truck in, in at scale w- without CapEx?
0: Yeah, I'm a I would be short Tesla on this one, long Nicola. I'm I'm with you. I think one it's the focus of Trevor Milton and Nikola where they're solely focused on trucks. Yeah, they've got those those the, the fun projects on the side with the, with the Rave Runner and, and ATV or whatever but they're focused on trucks uh, so I think that that puts them in a much better position to get things delivered uh, on time. Focus. That's right. Focus, I know something so they're something, not you're always talking about. Elon. The yeah, they're right they're not uh, <laughs> They're not launching people to space that's a fact. Uh, so the next one is just a, a crazy stock story that we've seen the last few weeks. Um, we, we've talked about that Bank of America data and we see home improvement numbers that are mm-hmm. way up. We see people spending a lot of money on furniture uh, and truthfully you just hear stories of people having to work from home and they, they get in their house and they realize that they have a really terrible place to live and they, they need better furniture. Uh, so you saw this stock. This is Wayfair that we're speaking of. It um, was trading near 200 back in January, February, and then it just absolutely got smashed. It fell down all the way to 20, and it has since 9 x. So it's sitting back around 200 now. So 9x since March 20th. Uh, I'll, I'll just leave it to you, I'll, I'll leave, are you short or are you long, the idea of Wayfair, uh, you know, even competing with, with, I mean they are competing with Amazon or Walmart, do you think they could be a major player uh, moving forward, would you buy the stock right now at near its all time high?
2: I don't know if I'd, I, you know, what the valuation is, I, I'm not sure, but I'm long Wayfair. I, I think they've, uh, they've done battle with Amazon, they've already done battles with all these companies and they're sticking in there, so I, I would go long, long the, the ultimate value of, of, of Wayfair, whether their valuation is justified right now or not. I don't know.
0: That's surprising, actually. Seth, we Seth and I had a had a yeah. had a debate whether you'd be long. He he definitely thought you'd be short. Uh, I wasn't sure. He he just figured you, you like you know old school kind of well made things, and Wayfair kind of has a yeah, yeah. has a knock for making cheap cheap stuff.
2: It's funny because we did the the paper our first paper when we got FreightWaves off of your article on Amazon, and and he went down through this detailed list of people who've done battle and and basically crashing stock prices at first, but mm-hmm. they've recovered mm-hmm. within the next year or two, and Wayfair was one of the the big success stories where amazon couldn't take the the, the market share away that's
1: market. really interesting yeah amazon only has a few facilities that actually handle like a large like like a large like can sort large mm-hmm. packages um so I, I do think there's a bit of a, a moat there that m- may be underappreciated with the wayfair um i'm i think i'm wrong i think that uh as millions of people take work from home seriously it's not just the normal kinds of furniture that people think about like tables and couches but i think there's there'll be a whole new sort of um focus on productivity furniture and like desks and things that are also attractive that can be easily moved and adjusted so that people can work or not from home and and sort of transform spaces in their house like easily and I, i i can imagine like all new sorts of product lines and like selling kinds of furniture to people that they've never bought before and that would be something that uh wayfair should do
0: yeah, no, I'm I'm actually long Wayfair as well. I'm not focused on valuation at all, but I just like the idea of it being you know a third party uh, platform where people can buy from a lot of different uh, retailers. They can buy different brands. Uh, I think there's a lot there. I've I pers- personally just bought a bed on Wayfair a couple weeks ago. Full disclosure, I haven't opened it yet, but it looks nice. Uh, <laughs> we're moving here in a couple of weeks, so upgrading that. So yeah, so we're all long Wayfair. Uh, we all think we all think nickel not much, not much. Uh, disruption here we're not no, no not arguing between us three kind of some group thing going on but uh let's see what else first of all thanks for carry direct for uh for for taking care of us this week diane co always with the great research thank you jp for coming on getting out of getting out of your house coming hanging out with us
1: what are you guys uh, working on passport right now we are working on some um actually some insurance data looking at the difference between weekly new effective insurance policies for um trucking companies And the the difference between new effectives and expiring policies, trying to get a better read on how much capacity has been taken out of the market and when, um, you know, that inflection point and, and, you know, the great tightening will happen. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. And you can
2: get all of JP's research and our research as well at Passport. So that's freightwaves.com slash Passport for membership.
0: What's our, what are you and Dune are going to talk about on Put the Coffee Down tomorrow? The Last Dance. That's We're right. going to compare
2: cells Cells to The Last <laughs> Dance. I, I still have two more episodes I have to, uh, to go through tonight. Uh, I, I really got into it once I got into it. Yeah, It's fascinating. Uh, I remember growing up during that time, and you, you just forget so much. You'll but hear, all uh,
0: in the last episode, you'll hear the, the best line about Michael. It says it's not that he can run fast or jump high, but he can be perfectly in the moment at all the time, and that's what makes him so special. But we're on a six-day, 23-and-a-half-hour break. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.